0: Welcome to the Abundant Life podcast. We're continuing our conversation here in part two with some Christian medical professionals and talking COVID and vaccines. If you missed part one, be sure to jump back and listen. With us for part two is Abundant Life lead pastor, Phil Hopper, Dr. Kevin Hubbard, who's an oncologist, and Dr. Abe White, who's a comprehensive ophthalmologist. So to begin, Pastor Phil, We're going to hand this off to you because you've got a part of this that you're pretty passionate about to start this Mm -hmm. off. Sure. Yeah, we got some
1: hot topics we're going to talk about on this episode. And uh, for those uh, maybe just joining us for the first time, we're in mass because these are medical doctors. They're around covid for a living uh, all day, every day, even though we're socially distanced here. And uh, what I love about these men is not only are they scientifically minded, They're medical doctors, medically trained, but these are godly men. These are Christian men with a Christian worldview, members of Abundant Life, members of our church family. So because of that, guys, you carry a lot of credibility with me personally and with many others as well, because we are in a season where people just don't know who to believe, what to believe, who to trust. So much misinformation, uh, really indifference of opinion within even the medical community at times. So I made the observation recently, as many, many, many others have, that um, within the medical community there is a difference of opinion about treatment options for COVID, and there's a group of doctors called the Frontline Doctors, and there's a, a couple of other outliers personally that I'm aware of that have argued for a couple of different alternative treatment options to COVID. Uh, one of which is the now famous medicine called hydrochloroquine that has been talked about widely. Uh, another doctor recently I saw was arguing for a treatment he's personally using on COVID patients, which is an asthma inhaler. I'm not going to try to say the kind of medicine. But I'd made the observation recently that every time these doctors go on Facebook or YouTube to share what they believe, is a viable treatment option, it's immediately taken down. And I personally found that alarming, given the fact that Facebook and YouTube allow so much fake news to stay up indefinitely and all-out conspiracy theory videos to stay up indefinitely. It's like these people have never been the keeper of the facts before. They've never cared about the facts before. Why, all of a sudden, do the facts matter to them as it relates to COVID? And so uh I'm curious as to your medical viewpoint of these videos aside from the fact that they're being taken down which you know the the appearance to me and many others would be that there's an attempt to control the narrative going on here that a person's medical treatment should be between them and their doctor and if a doctor that you trust is for this kind of a treatment then uh then that should be between you and your doctor, whereas the appearance is uh, somebody's trying to control the information, somebody's trying to control the narrative. Uh, Why does Facebook keep taking down these videos when they allow others that's just clearly conspiracy video or just clearly not true? Why do they allow this to stay up? And all of a sudden, they're becoming uh, so facts-driven, supposedly, when it comes to COVID. So uh, doctors, take it away.
2: So I think uh, this really raises two important questions. The, the first question is the, the general question of censorship. Uh, and I think that that is a real issue and a real problem. Uh, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, these doctors absolutely have a right to their opinion and they have the right to share their opinion. Uh, but in the absence of published Peer-reviewed data, their opinion is just that. It's an opinion. Uh, Now, any doctor can tell you there have been numerous times throughout the history of medicine where a minority or even a single doctor has proven to be correct, and they've had very unpopular opinions that have eventually been borne out by research. History is littered with examples of that. Is hydroxychloroquine an example of that? I'm not sure. Uh, I can tell you, based on the studies that I've read on hydroxychloroquine so far, the results have been less than impressive. Um, it definitely caused uh, side effects. And one of the things that we do know definitely for sure is that for people who are in the ICU with COVID, it's a very bad thing to use. Uh, it, it kills people. Um, there's some question of could it have a preventative role Uh, or uh, could it possibly be used to treat patients that aren't as far along? That, I think, is a little bit less clear at this point in time. Um, I do, specific to the the Frontline Doctors video, I do take issue with um, a few of the things that they said in that video. Uh, And uh, I would hearken back, uh, Pastor Phil, actually to something that you said in a, a sermon a couple of weeks ago that uh, discernment is being able to know right from almost right. And in, in my professional opinion, there were a lot of things that were in that video that I would put in the almost right category. So to, to go back historically, what sort of started the whole concept of, hey, maybe hydroxychloroquine could be a treatment for COVID Uh, was a paper that was published uh, about 15 years ago in relation to the original SARS virus, which was a different coronavirus. Uh, And there were studies that showed that hydroxychloroquine, when used in a test tube, uh, could actually block the virus from replicating. Uh, Now, they made the claim that the SARS virus and the COVID 19 virus are 68% the same genetics. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the same. And just for comparison's sake, you know, humans and chimpanzees are 99% the same genetics. That 1% makes a pretty big difference. So obviously, the fact that there's, you know, that 32% difference between the original SARS virus and this coronavirus, what works for one may not necessarily work for the other. Um, one of the other issues that I had uh, with the the video um, was the the one doctor that claimed, you know, any research that comes out that's opposed to my opinion is just wrong. It's wrong, and that's that's not how science works. Uh, you know, science is a process that God has given us to help us to understand the world around us, um, and science uh, is best viewed as a tool. Uh, And just like any tool, there are things that it's good for and things that it's not as good for. And it has its strengths and weaknesses. One of the weaknesses of science is that it does take time. You know, we can't get immediate answers to the questions that we're asking right now about this virus because it's only been around for less than a year. Um, A true scientist, though, is that they may go into... Uh, a research project with an idea of how it might turn out, a hypothesis or a theory. Uh, but for somebody to approach anything in science with the idea that this has to be the right answer, uh, you're, you're bringing bias into that. And that's almost always going to taint uh, the results that you're going to get. Uh, it it's becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that regard. Dr. White, thank you. Dr. Hubbard, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree
3: completely. I you know I think that the real challenge that we have is that people need to understand that the discussion between the physician and the patient is of paramount importance. That relationship is what we call shared medical decision making, where the patient and the physician together are discussing how they're going to approach a problem. the The challenge comes in that the physician is obligated to follow the evidence that shows that a treatment is effective and to help the patient understand the pros and cons of any sort of treatment that they're going to initiate. So when you're in an area where there's not an abundance of evidence or where the information is going to be forthcoming based on trials that are currently going on, you're really in a tough spot because you want to be able to give your patient something that's going to be of value, something that'll be beneficial to them. And you don't want to hurt them. And that's kind of the physician's prime directive, do no harm to the patient. And yet at the same time, you've got this terrible infection that's the plague of the 21st century. What What are we going to do? How are we going to manage this? It comes back to knowing what treatments are effective, what treatments are not, and where the dividing line exists so that you can discern the proper treatment for the patient. And so when you're in a situation like that, if a patient comes to you and says, you know, I would really want to try this or I really want to try that, I usually say, well, I'm really glad to hear that you have an interest in it. Why don't we look for a clinical trial and why don't you participate in that clinical trial? so you can be followed and you can be monitored carefully so we can do this safely. And so that we can learn something in the wake of that to determine whether or not these treatments are effective. The thought about hydroxychloroquine and and, uh, uh, an antibiotic was worth trying. But unfortunately, we found out that the potential for harm was as great, if not greater, than the potential for benefit. So maybe the severely ill patient isn't the right person to try that in. Maybe it's in somebody who is not quite as sick. Maybe we can try to prevent some of those things that happen down the line with this from happening. But we won't know if we don't do the study. And if we don't do the study, we don't get the evidence. And if we don't get the evidence, then we still can't help people. And that's why people go to physicians to get help. Right. Thank you.
0: Dr.
1: Go ahead. So um, I'm just curious what your opinion would be as uh, doctors. Uh, I'm certainly not arguing one way or the other. And I I appreciate what you had to say, Abe, as it relates to if you're not medically trained, as the average American, you can't discern what is right from almost right. That's why we have to lean on the people who who are. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't argue for one treatment over another as somebody who's not medically trained, and what I'm hearing you say is the hydroxychloroquine has not been adequately tested uh, to be considered a real treatment option for COVID, though these doctors argue it has to be done early on. It's not a late treatment option. It has to be used on the outset of symptoms, is what they're saying as a treatment. Either way, uh, do you find it alarming that These videos are being taken down off the social media platforms that Americans are now getting their information. I realize the medical community does not go to Facebook to get their medical information or share information, but the average American does. Um, And that can be really bad or it can be really good. Either way, it has lent the appearance to many Americans that there's an attempt to control the narrative as it relates to COVID. Is that alarming to you as an American or as a doctor um, then, and looking at it through that filter of the medical community? Is there anything for the average person to be alarmed by? Is there any attempt in your mind that there's a, some type of nefarious uh, type of objective to control information accessible?
2: So I do find that concerning, though probably not for the reason that you would expect. Um, Why I find the, the censorship to be a concern is that it feeds into the mentality of a conspiracy. That, oh, this must be true and it must be accurate information and George Soros or the man or whatever boogeyman you want to choose just doesn't want me to know this so clearly it must be true you know in my opinion that in in the you know the the marketplace of ideas the truth is going to win uh if given a level playing field and so i believe that the information should be out there and uh you know so that we can basically debunk what's false there and support what's true that's that's my opinion
0: interesting yeah Good. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to go there. We're going to take that next step into the topic of vaccines. Okay. So there are a lot of thoughts and opinions out there like we've been talking about, but one statement that's made that there's uh, some modern vaccines out there contain fetal tissues. So either doctor, is that true? And if so, which ones?
2: So that's actually a very complex question. Um, And in order to fully answer that question, we have to go into how vaccines are actually made and what vaccines are. So um, viruses um, are basically parasites. So there is no way for a virus to reproduce itself on its own. Uh, The only way that it can do that is using some sort of a host. Uh, because it has to hijack the machinery within that cell in order to reproduce itself. Now, most viruses uh, are capable of infecting or reproducing themselves in multiple different types of tissues uh, and in multiple different types of species. Uh, There are some viruses, though, that are specific only to one species. Now... um, one of the things that I think is bad information that's been put out there is that, oh, the companies that are making vaccines are killing babies and grinding them up and putting them in the vaccines. And that's, that's not accurate. It's not true at all. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is that there are two strains, one that was, uh, or two cell lines, I should say, one that was created from a girl that was aborted in Sweden in 1962, and one that was created from a child that was aborted in the United States in 1966. Those two cell lines are currently used to produce some vaccines. Um, there are only three vaccines in the United States that are currently manufactured that do not have an option that is not use one of those cell lines. Those would be the hepatitis A vaccine. Uh, the rubella vaccine, and the chickenpox vaccine. And the reason for that is that those viruses really don't uh, infect other species. So there's no other way to make them. Now, I know a lot of people are thinking, hey, wait a minute, they created these cell lines 60 years ago. How are they still working? Well, fetal stem cells, which is essentially what these are, can be induced to multiply almost in a limitless fashion, which is why we didn't need to make any more. Um, And this obviously creates um, some pretty significant ethical questions and ethical problems about vaccines. Uh, And I recognize that this is not a perspective that uh, everyone will will share, uh, but this is the way that I view it. You know, if we look at the history of humanity, the absolute most unjust evil act that was ever committed in the history of humanity was the crucifixion of Christ, without question. But that evil, unjust act was what allowed us to gain our salvation. In much the same way, uh, those two children that were sacrificed in a completely evil way have enabled us to be able to save millions and millions of lives. Now, I do want to make the point, too, that those children were not aborted for the purpose of making those cell lines or for the purpose of making vaccines. Uh, They would have just been discarded or thrown away had their cell lines not been created uh, from them. Um, and just like with Christ's crucifixion, if we reject salvation, that doesn't make the crucifixion not happen or make it unjust or make it go away. The same way that declining a vaccine doesn't make that evil that made that vaccine possible go away either. So from my perspective, uh, for the vaccines that are made from those cell lines, I think that they should be used uh, because they can uh, save, they, they have saved literally millions of lives. But the use of those vaccines should be done with reverence for the price that was paid to achieve them.
1: And those vaccines are the chickenpox vaccine? Hepatitis, hepatitis A, A
2: and rubella. Rubella. And the, the irony of this, too, is that the rubella vaccine, before the vaccine existed, rubella infections were actually a leading cause of miscarriages. Uh, and so that vaccine has probably saved more preborn infants than anyone could really possibly know or understand. Um, it, it has been an unbelievably helpful thing for the world to have.
1: And I want, I want to
2: emphasize
1: Abe is a very godly man with a very, very much a Christian worldview that is also very scientifically minded. And this is one of the most complex moral and ethical decisions we face right now as Christians. And I know this is important to a lot of people because this is a question I've gotten a lot, probably in the last 18 months. Uh, Millennial moms are trying to decide, do I vaccinate my children or do I not? And it's kind of a growing divide in the body of Christ. You know, my typical response is, you know, vaccinations inherently are not evil. Modern medicine is not evil. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, you know, vaccinations have uh, done away with many horrible, terrible diseases historically that plagued humanity. Just as recently as the mid-20th century, uh, polio was a horrible, horrible attacker of, of uh, children. And a lot of older men today walk, you know, with uh, assistance because of it. And so uh, polio vaccination did away with polio. Smallpox vaccination did away with smallpox. I have the scar right here to prove it. I was one of the last kids to ever get the vaccination for smallpox. This is what I tell people. uh, As a matter of your conscience before God, if you don't have the ability before God to receive a vaccination, that was made in some manner with fetal tissue of aborted babies, then you shouldn't do it. It's a matter of your conscience before God. I've said personally, as my conscience as a Christian man before God, I probably would not receive a vaccination. Uh, Abe says he probably would. And I think that's what we commonly call in the New Testament a Christian liberty. A matter of liberty is something that is not necessarily a sin. It's not a clear you should or you should not command. Uh, Paul called it in 1 Corinthians 9, a liberty before the Lord. And Christian liberty is where you go with your own personal conscience before God. And so um, we as Christians live in a more complex world than any generation of Christians before us. And this is one of the most complex, I think, moral, ethical questions. That we have
0: to answer, but you did a phenomenal job. Thank you, Abe.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Well, Pastor
0: Phil, thank you so much. Dr. Hubbard, Dr. White, thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate all this incredible information and, and thank you for uh, your medical expertise, but your heart and your Christian worldview as well. We so appreciate that. And it's rare that we get to hear from medical professionals that are also men of faith. So thank you very much for being here. Thank we you. We so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And Pastor Phil, as always, thank you for leading us well and sharing your heart. Les, you did well. Appreciate you leading out on this podcast. Thank you. You got it. Well, thanks to all of our listeners for joining us on the Abundant Life podcast. We know there are a lot of opinions about what's going on in the world. And our goal is simply just to give you a biblical perspective from Pastor Phil and some fellow brothers in the medical field. So we thank you for joining us. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or you can follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.